Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here and on this week's podcast I'll be interviewing Shay Box about Enneagram personality types in branding. But before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to FreshBooks who has sponsored this episode. FreshBooks is an accounting software designed for creative professionals like you that allows you to create and send branded invoices in as little as 30 seconds. Plus, you can set up card payments right from these invoices too, making it quicker and easier for your clients to pay. Right now, I'm offering you a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. All you need to do is head to freshbooks.com forward slash logageek, making sure to enter logageek in the how did you hear about us section. So when working on any visual identity project, you want to be sure to understand the business's target audience and design a solution that attracts them. But exactly how to approach this can often be uh, quite subjective. So when Sarah Dunn, uh, a previous guest on the podcast, it was uh, episode 5.4, recommended I speak to this week's guest, Shay Box. I was fascinated by the work that she'd been doing around Enneagram personality types. It wasn't something I'd previously heard of before, so I was keen to get Shay on as a guest to find out exactly what Enneagram personality types are and um, how you can use them when working on a, a brand strategy or a visual identity design project. Uh, Shay Box refers to herself as a brand stylist and designer, but prior to that, she founded a business designing, building, and selling WordPress themes for food bloggers which she eventually sold off. Because of that, later in the interview, we also chatted about building a productized business, as well as her experience around selling her business too. But the focus of this episode is the Enneagram personality types. And since it's quite a visual thing, do make sure to check out the show notes for this episode where I've shared an image of the Enneagram to help support this interview. And you can find the show notes just by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 6.5. So to discuss Enneagram personality types and more, here is the interview with Shay Box. I understand that you've been studying Enneagram personality types that can be used in branding. It's not a term I've heard of before and I'm not familiar with this. So could you let us know what that is and how you would then go about applying that to uh, your branding work? Sure. So for someone who hasn't ever heard of the Enneagram before, um, I'll tell you that the Enneagram is simply a symbol. It's kind of this uh, mysterious symbol that philosophers have used for a long time to describe different processes in the world. Um, there's some legend that comes from um, the Near East. Well, we're pretty sure it comes from the Near East. But legend says it's they used it in ancient Egypt or Babylon, but it was definitely used as a wisdom tool by the Sufis and esoteric Christianity for thousands of years. And then in 1916, um, an Armenian philosopher named Gurdjieff brought it to the West and he described it as a symbol of the inner dynamic of the cosmos, which sounds like really floaty and out there, but it was a way of organizing kind of his understanding of the world through this symbol. Um, and I know like 
Pythagoras had his hands on the symbol at one point. And so it's, it's got this like rich history for processes and creativity and um, just kind of explaining the world. And then um, several decades later, after Kerchief, a couple of psychologists, one in Bolivia and one in Chile, adapted his work and they applied a typology of archetypes to the symbol. And so this is now what the Enneagram has come to be known as is a personality typing system, but it always hasn't been that way always. And like, if anyone has worked with brand archetypes before, we know that like this idea of archetypes comes from Jungian ideas that um, through our culture and even in our cellular memory, there are specific archetypes that we all use to understand the world, like certain heroes or um, helpers and, and different things. And um, there have been others who have taken that archetype philosophy to branding and kind of like pen down, like you are the hero brand. And so we're going to design your brand based on that. The Enneagram takes it a step further. Um, and so it said, the Enneagram says that we actually all under our stand, understand our world through our specific archetypal lens. And there are essentially nine of these lenses or personality types, or even 27 if you count the subtypes of each personality type. And um, so what I do is I apply this idea of the Enneagram and all of these um, archetypal personalities to the work that I do by looking at either the, the person behind the personal brand or maybe the personality type of a company as a whole, and then also the type of person that they're speaking to, so their ideal audience or user. And um, I've also started doing a bit of creativity coaching through the Enneagram because the Enneagram is very personal. However, you can apply it both ways, personally and in a um, like a more corporate setting. Yeah, th this is a really great explanation. Uh, but I know since it's a visual thing, listeners will definitely want to uh, check out the diagram to properly understand Absolutely. it. So I'll be yes. sure to include uh, an image in the show notes for this episode, which should be at logogeek.uk forward slash 6.5. Um, so yeah, for anyone that's not quite following along, make sure to check out the show notes to see an image of what we're talking about. Um, to expand on what you said, are you able to give an example of when you've used the Enneagram? Okay, so I'll give you an example of uh, when we used the Enneagram in a recent project. Um, I was working with a, a coaching organization, um, very well known, <laughs> and um, they're very familiar with the Enneagram and use it to type all of their employees, and they, uh, they use it to uh, work on teamwork and, and leadership and feedback and communication but they hadn't yet applied it to their branding. And so when we were working on their brand and website, um, one of the things that I asked was, well, how do you see your company? Which personality type do you see your company as? And they told me that they're actually a mix of two different personality types. Um, so we had fun kind of talking about that and like how the mix works. And then I asked them, okay, so how about your customers? Who are they? Are they also this same type? And what was interesting was that they weren't, they were a completely separate type. That's not even connected to the type that they, that they were, sure. they were identifying as. 
And so what we did was we kind of re-looked at their branding and how we were positioning them so that we could speak to the audience that they're they're trying to reach. And I, I will also say, um, going off on a rant here, but <laughs> I'll also say there was um, there was some research done about this, and I can I can send you the link to the research. Um, but it said that using the Enneagram as a symbol, we identify with our own personality type, but we're also connected to two other personality types through the dynamic movements, which you call the arrows. And so like, say I'm a four, I'm also connected to one and two. And what this research study found was that our consumer behavior follows our core personality type, but it also means that we're going to be looking for brands that are in those other personality types that we're connected to through our dynamic movement. So I will most likely be attracted to a four brand or a one brand or two brand depending on if I'm stressed or if I'm in a stage of growth or so forth. It, it, it's the Enneagram symbol is about movement. It's not about being um, holed into one specific type, but about how you move through the symbol in your type. And so understanding that and like how our customers move through the Enneagram helps us then to speak to them in ways um, that they need to hear through our branding. Hmm, it sounds like a fascinating thing to be studying and I'll be sure to look into the research that you mentioned too uh, because when working on branding it's important to know um, who you're targeting and by the sound of it this will be uh, really helpful to to help um, understand that better. Mm-hmm. Um, I've come across personality typing before but not this specific approach and I'd imagine it might be new to quite a few listeners too. So I want to make sure to channel some of the questions that they might that they might have. And um, one that comes to mind is uh, once you've established the personality type of the business, mm-hmm. what can you then do with that knowledge? Do you simply use the diagram to map out your ideal customer or... Uh, is there more to this um, to gain a better understanding? Hopefully my question makes sense. Right, absolutely. So the great thing about the Enneagram that I love is that it's all about motivations and not necessarily about behavior. Um, and so, for instance, going back to that example I was using of the, the coaching company that I worked with, they described themselves as a mix between um, three and seven. Uh, which are not connected on the Enneagram, but that's how they saw their company. Um, And what was interesting was that their customers were ones. And so just like a quick, um, quick synopsis, the one is the reformer and they're, they're almost perfectionists and threes are achievers. Um, They're kind of workaholics. They can be workaholics, um, but they're like the really successful people. Um, not all types can be successful, but threes are known for like really striving for success. And then sevens are enthusiasts or adventurers. They're like the really like life of the party kind of people. And so this brand, um, uh, described themselves as a mix of three and seven. So like this really high achieving successful personality with the life of the party fun kind of uh, personality. But their clients were ones who were perfectionist reformers, very um, have to do things the right way kind of people. 
And so what we found is that one and seven actually have a dynamic movement. So ones tend to take on um, traits of seven when they are feeling secure or um, growing in a, a very specific way, maybe like healing something from their past. And so tapping into that seven personality type and knowing that that would actually serve their customers and clients well helped us then to um, take that approach to their website so that we were focusing on this kind of like fun, bright, playful, positive um, take on their brand. Whereas before, if they had just told me they were three brand, I would have gone very like clean and like to the point focused on results kind of. And I would have taken a very different approach to that website. And what we ended up with was something that's really going to serve their brand so much better and their and their clients better. Does that help describe it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, as this is quite reliant on uh, the diagram being seen to really make sense yes. of it, I'll be sure to <laughs> include uh, images in the show notes for this episode, which should be at uh, logogeek.uk forward slash 6.5 so if you are listening and you're not entirely following following along make sure to um, check that out but I, I totally understand how uh, the information can be valuable from this um, if if each personality type links uh, you could predict the type of individual you would want to attract or Absolutely. or the uh, reverse of that you know to create an identity that would attract a specific type of person uh, I could totally see how this would allow you to make more intelligent choices not just in the identity but the overall uh, business strategy too absolutely so this is completely strategic for branding and I see people all the time um, who say especially personal brands they say I don't know who my ideal audience is um, I just want to serve everybody you know um, and they can't narrow it down and so I do feel like the Enneagram is a good place to start with that um, understanding that certain people are going to be attracted to what you do and what you bring. Um, and then kind of working backwards from there. Um, that would be, it would be a different position if you already have an established brand where you already have users um, that you can understand them better through surveys or asking good questions and stuff like that. But if for people who are starting out and don't know who their audience is yet, this would absolutely be a great way to start. Hmm. It sounds really good. Um, so in terms of working with potential clients using this uh, diagram, how are you going about working out what those traits are? Do you just show them the diagram and talk through each one and literally just narrow down to which personality type or types that they they see themselves as? Well, yeah, it's it's kind of the typing process is a bit more complex than that. Um, we there are certain questions we go through there um, kind of activities we do in order to nail down a, a typical typing interview would be um, anywhere from an hour to three hours long. Um, and this is kind of outside of the typical brand strategy discovery meeting. Um, and so it's something that I, um, 
I kind of package with specific clients. I don't do it with every client because that's not the right move for every client. Yeah. Um, And so, but the ones that are interested in this, it's something that we've been able to tap into early on during that early discovery or like before the discovery um, and really nail down the personality type um, of the company. And I will say, most of the people who have come to me have an understanding of Enneagram already. So they have their suspicions about what they might be or what they might represent. And so we're able to confirm that through a typing interview. Yeah. It, I, it, it sounds quite interesting because if your potential clients are already aware of this process, it, it almost seems like a USP for you. Um, because I, I'm thinking now, like off the top of my head, there there's other ways that you can approach this personality typing this just seems like another way of of doing it but like you said if your clients are already familiar with it and uh want to work with a brand strategist that that is familiar with this uh process and technique that's what would make you stand out from the others because like i said it's not something i've heard of you're actually the first person i've personally spoken to that that take this approach to uh, working out target audience and personality types. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I live in a, you know, how we live in little bubbles where yeah. we, we hear from other people all the same things. And so um, we figure that it's, it's something very common. I know like the founder of Dropbox uses the Enneagram. There's, you know, there's certain very um, key people online who are using it more for personality and personal growth. And so when I got tapped into it several years ago, that's what I was using it for. But uh, like my friend said recently, once you start doing inner work, you realize that inner work is all there is. And so it becomes kind of something you f- you're thinking about all the time. And like, it's the way, the way I see the world now. And so it's, it has colored my branding work for several years before even um, officially using it with clients is that I, you know, was thinking about these things before. So I do think that it can be used in um, our design work, even if we're not um, outwardly using it as a typing system, but just an understanding of how our motivations and um, how we our lenses that we use function that really helps us to then be able to kind of incarnate that kind of purpose behind a brand into something visual Mm. so you mentioned as well that there are like questions and activities that you uh, run through and it takes a a number of hours to uh, narrow down to what their business personality type would be would you be happy to share some of the activities that you're doing with clients to um to to help narrow down what that personality type looks like sure i think it it, i would hate to be too confusing with it though because (laughs) there's so many intricacies of it um i will say it starts with a questionnaire um it starts with like a worksheet that people fill out and they answer certain questions about what their values are. If it's a personal brand, we get even more personal with it. I really enjoy working with personal brands. So that's something that I do a lot. I, I had one uh, recently who was a play therapist. And I totally thought she would have been a seven, which is that enthusiast, adventurous um, type. And it turned out through our discovery 
that she was actually a four, which is the kind of um, like where the individualists and more creative and moody types. And so I found that so exciting to kind of uncover that in our discovery. And it really started with that worksheet where she filled out you know, specific questions that asked her about her motivations and how she sees the world. And it actually provided her much more clarity in what she wanted to do with her business going forward. I mean, she hired me for branding, but she actually ended up leaving with a much clearer picture of how she was going to um, handle her business going forward, what she was going to do to kind of transform it for herself in a way that felt more aligned to who she was. So I'd say it starts with that that worksheet and then it includes several conversations. And because I've you know done my Enneagram training and I've just been engulfed in this for years, I'm able to kind of pick up qualities about people that, that help me to determine, you know, what their type might be. However, I will say that even though we go through this whole process, only an individual can determine type for themselves. Um, so I wouldn't be able to like type you and say, Oh, Ian, you're a six. Um, Cause you might look at that and say, Oh, that doesn't sound like me at all. Even though it looks like to me that you are. Um, so it's a, it's a conversation. It's back and forth between the client and myself in trying to figure this out together. Mm. I, I know um, uh, a few weeks back, I, I was at a, a training course where they did a really basic version of uh, one of the personality types. I can't remember what it's called, but it's the one where you come out as like an INTJ or whatever. I, I don't know yeah. if you know what I mean. Myers-Briggs. And I was, yeah, the Myers-Briggs uh test and I was really surprised even from a basic perspective one of the questions I was really surprised by because um it uh I can't remember what the letters was whether whether it was like an N or a J but if like you was an N you're more creative and if you was a J you're more strategic and I'm a graphic designer I've you know I've been doing it for like uh 10 years and I was really surprised I wasn't on the right side (laughs) (laughs) I was I was more strategic and it it got me thinking like actually when I work on projects I do like to work on more structurally um, uh, I do like to think more about how people work and how people use things Um, and I do like to look at the strategy and and for me I, I prioritize that over the creativity and it was just really surprising for me it's like oh actually (laughs) this is interesting for me it's useful knowing this information so I for personal branding I I really see the uh, value of these you know understanding your personality type and you know when you when you do understand that you can like in in your brand identity you can you can bring out some of those characteristics in the um you know in the aesthetics of how you look at how how you're portraying yourself so i it sounds like a really useful exercise from uh you know from a strategy point of view to uh really understand who you are really understand the type of character uh, personalities that you would work well with the type of people that you should ideally be targeting you know so that you get the best uh, connections and relationships with those people so I really see the value in it now now I've you know spent some time understanding how it works absolutely and and you 
I mean, what you just described is um, showing how, you know, understanding your personality type helps you bring those gifts that you have to the forefront. Um, and to understand that not, not everyone sees the world the same way. And that's a really good thing because we all kind of have our own little take on it. And so I think that's what I really, really enjoy about like any personality typing system. And I will say that, um, like with you, you saw yourself as more creative and the test labeled you as strategic, mm-hmm. but strategic strategy is totally a form of creativity. Yeah, um, I understand. It, yeah. To be honest, I was, it, it was a really basic version and there was only five questions and <laughs> I was like 50, 50, but you know, I got three on one and two on the other. So I, I'm wondering if with a more complex um, mm-hmm. analysis, which side I would fall on. But I, I just found it really interesting and it really made me start thinking, maybe I am more strategic minded than <laughs> creative. And like you said, even though it, st- strategy is a very creative exercise, I, I think it meant more, um, you know, you're more focused on the way that things work and should be working. You know, you see the bigger picture as opposed to the intricate, finer uh, details of Uh, certain components. (laughs) Right. Oh, and what you're describing is such a gold nugget too, because I think with any of these systems, it's not just finding out what you are and labeling yourself, but it's more about what you do with it. Mm. And so you kind of opening yourself up and seeing, oh, this this strategy side of me actually has a real place here. Um, I'm sure that you're making decisions from a different place now and kind of thinking more um, in a vein that includes that strategic side of yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, it helps you to think more long-term as well, because, you know, you consider things that you might not have previously considered because you put yourself yeah. in a bubble, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that makes sense what the Enneagram personality types are. And I think we've given enough for our listeners to, you know, to go and look into that themselves further are there any books that you would recommend that people read so that they could learn more about an enneagram personality types if they wanted to absolutely so one of my teachers is beatrice chestnut um, and she has two books one called the complete enneagram um, which is more like a personal venture into the enneagram and then she has another one called the nine types of leaders um, and that's definitely going to be helpful for anyone in a business setting um, maybe leading teams or um, working with others um, and just kind of raising our emotional IQ there to to see others for who they are. Um, and then another kind of uh, personal book is The Path Between Us by Suzanne Stabile. It's a really easy read and it's like conversational and fun. So that's a good like intro into the Enneagram if anyone is interested. I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks who has sponsored this season of the podcast. As creators, we like to spend our time creating clever ideas that give value to our clients. But a lot of us spend way too much time running our business 
doing things like creating invoices, chasing payments and logging all of our expenses. And that's actually where FreshBooks can help. It's an accounting software designed specifically for creative professionals like you that's so easy to use, you'll save hours each week on all of the time consuming admin that you're doing. And that means that you have more time to focus on designing logos and brand identities. Time-saving features in FreshBooks includes creating and sending branded invoices in about 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from your invoices, meaning that your clients can pay faster. And when tax time rolls around, you'll also be able to export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. Just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek and enter Logo Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now let's get back to the interview. I've looked on your website, which is really nice and clean and and elegant. I I really like your um, style, but one thing that really... Um, jumped out at me whilst looking through it is that you have a really productized service offering or business like you've you can go on your site you can see that you offer three fixed priced services with uh, a a fixed um, uh, product that, that you get at the end of it and I'd just love to know what what what's the reason why you've taken that approach as to um, you know, rather than going fully bespoke and doing value-based pricing for each particular client. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that kind compliment. Um, but also, I am such a fan of productized services. One, because it offers me the the opportunity to have predictable processes. And um, for me, that's super important. There's this um, I guess philosophy and, and Montessori education. I don't know if you're familiar with Montessori, um, but my kids go to Montessori school. And when they go to learn something new, the only thing that's, uh, that changes in what they're learning is, um, or it changes in the material that they're using is the one task that they're learning how to do. And so if they're learning their letters, all of the sandpaper letters are on pink boards and they don't change it unless it's a vowel. That's a different story. Um, but they have this control of error that helps the child to learn exactly what the one specific goal is for that activity. And they don't like have every letter on a different color or different shapes and all kinds of different things. So I have taken this approach in my business where I really want to standardize and Uh, create um, a control of error for myself because I want each project I take on to be so unique in the, you know, the outcome of what I'm providing to people that having predictable processes that I take them through in order to get to that, you know, unique one of a kind brand has to be standardized. Now that's, that's just me and my personality type. Everyone else might not feel the same way, but for me it works. Um, And I also figured out years ago, I actually owned a WordPress theme business for a while. And we, at the same time, I was doing branding and website design. And we found out that people were coming to us for the same thing over and over and over and over again. And, um, 
So instead of like having to do a proposal and then setting a contract and pricing it out differently for every client, we decided to just pick one price and a very standardized process that I took every client through and eventually got to the point where I could actually hand that off to my junior designer and they did it all of the design. And we ran things so smoothly that we were doing several of these a week where we were creating a, a small logo and customizing WordPress theme um, for a decent price. You know, it was much lower for them than going to like a a boutique agency, but it was enough for us that it was very profitable. And that actually was kind of like my entry into productized services. Once I realized how well that worked, I realized that I needed to be doing that for everything I do. Um, and that's not to say that I don't take on other projects that don't fit within those buckets. I certainly do, but it helps provide like a framework. So if somebody is coming to me and say, Hey, I need a logo, what, what does that run? And instead of they're going, well, I have to sit down and do a discovery with you and like figure out what you need and what, you know, I can say, oh, I have this package on my website. This is the price. This is what you get. And it's super simple to get them to agree because most of the time they don't even know what they need. Um, and so the fact that I'm able to uh, package that up for them and know ahead of time how long it's going to take me and what all is going to be involved without having to think through it and create a proposal is really beneficial for both sides. Mm, it sounds really good. I, I know personally, I've um, always uh, favored productized services as well, because you can create um, template emails, template processes, you know, right. what happens and when, um, you know, you, you just, you just know how everything works and it's, it's a very, well-oiled machine uh, but when you take the bespoke route and uh, you know you come up with a price each time based on value which I, I, I totally understand the value in it but it's a lot harder to do that and it's it's significantly easier to um, you know to have a system where you just run from A to Z and the the, the process is done so um, you know I think with anything like logo design and, and branding you are able to do that and I, I i totally understand especially if you've got a team as well i totally understand why you'd want to take that route absolutely it's a, a lot of, i feel like a lot of designers get to a point where they go okay i need to grow but i can't take on any more work and i'm so busy but i you know I can't raise my rates any higher. They're pretty high already and they're not sure what to do next. And I think this idea of productized service and making things very predictable is a way not only to, to save them their sanity, but also to give them the opportunity to pass that on to someone else and kind of take things off their plate, but still it's their process. It's their, you know, it's, they're still providing value to their clients through this incredible experience and knowledge that they've put into this um, this one product. Mm. It also works nicely with the um, book, The E-Myth Revisited, which is a book I read a number of years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but what uh, it's called The E-Myth Revisited. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic book. And, um, you know, for listeners that haven't uh, read it, 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 I mean, it's been a number of years since I've read it, but the the, the general gist of it is uh, most people that 
that run their own business they 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 do it because they've worked in a role that they've loved for years then they go out on their own start their own thing and then they just burn out get worn out and then you know quit everything and then go back and the primary reason for that is because they're working in their business rather than on their business and um it runs through you know working on systems and processes so that you can basically take anyone and plonk them in a chair give them these processes and anyone can basically take over and that means that you can build a business where you can hire uh reasonably talented people they they don't have to be the best people in the world but they can take your processes and run with it and that's how um you know companies like mcdonald's have been thriving because they built all these systems Mm -hmm. that they can just replicate and and clone and even though graphic design is it's a little bit more bespoke and it's more involved we can still take a lot of those systems and processes and, and build a business around it and um you know productizing in this way one of the um amazing advantages is that you can eventually sell your business too because yeah. you're you're you know it's it's not all about you you are selling the the processes the systems and um everything that goes but behind it so you know that's that's the real value of productizing at the end of the day absolutely yes um I couldn't agree with that more (laughs) yeah fantastic um I wanted to ask you about one of your other services that I uh I thought was a cool idea so you have one uh service called transformation in a day and uh like I said it's not a service I've seen anyone else do so I kind of love to know what what's the idea behind you know, transformation in a day and how does that work for you? Sure. I actually picked this idea from some copywriter friends of mine um, who were doing day rates for copywriting. And I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. That's super cool. You just kind of get in and out and you kind of like take over and change your client's world kind of in a day. And then, um, and then you move on and they have everything they need. Um, Now I can't, do like a full brand in a day or a full website in a day. That would be crazy. But what I have been able to do is do like landing pages in a day. Or um, we had one client who we had just done their branding and everything. And now they needed um, some uh, booth graphics for a conference they were going to. And so I was able to do that through this service. And there are so many different things. I didn't want to like pinpoint exactly one thing that I could do for a day rate. Um, but I wanted to leave it open and say, we could kind of take on anything you need. Not, well, let me rephrase that. Not anything you need, but, but certain things can fit within a like seven to eight hour range. Um, and we can do it highly focused and really nail things down during that time. Um, so this might be a landing page. It might be some kind of um, event graphics, um, done brand strategy before. So the, the piece of branding before getting to the visual logo and, and all of that, we can do with that in a day. Um, so it just kind of gives some flexibility for the clients who maybe don't need one of my product based services, but it's still enough of a framework that I could say, okay, just book your day and we'll take care of that on this day. Yeah. I I like that you've done that because it it feels like you've tailored your services to all potential audiences. 
um mm-hmm. you know you've you've got the like the the logo design and brand identity as one service and then the logo and brand identity alongside like a web design and both of those are quite involved like you've on the on your website you've even included like the the amount of time committed to it so like Mm -hmm. the the just just the logo design on it on its own is like a three-week commitment for the client so they're quite involved they're quite high-end services that that uh, require a lot of time for both you and and uh, your client but this transformation in a day it's um it, it it's like an entry point to work with you so people could see what it's like working with you and you know if if they don't need all of that done but just a small piece of it I think it's a really clever idea and I can imagine some people listening to this might borrow the idea <laughs> please do I think it'd be awesome to see more of it <laughs> Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about, and uh, it was through reading your blog posts, because you have a couple of really nice, easy to read blogs on, on your site. And there was one point in one of them where I was surprised to hear that you are currently working on like 50 to 60% pro bono work. I assume it's work for charities. It's uh, partially charity. It's partially just other causes that I really believe in. Yeah. So, so charities and courses. So, um, the one of the main reasons why I found this surprising is because in graphic design communities online, something that I see a lot of um, a lot of people doing is like these thirty day challenges, or you know, they do all these things to build out their portfolio. But uh, one thing that I'm always pushing on them is like you know this is just fillers for your portfolio it doesn't it's it's not going to get you any clients because it's just meaningless work that that doesn't really add any value you know there's uh, there's no client involved so you know you're not getting used to working with a client uh there's no in-depth um insight but behind the work so you can't even write a case study and again it's it's not real work so it's never going to be used and you know as a potential client you see that it's just you know what is this it just it just seems like a waste of time so i've i always try to encourage uh people when they're trying to do portfolio fillers so whether that's students or um you know people that want to work in a new area i always encourage them to go and look for um you know a charity or a um you know a good cause that they want to get involved with but when like some pushback i've had and i've tried to do it myself as well it's really hard to actually find someone that obviously needs the 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 help so i was just wondering how are you going about finding those charities or finding those courses and you know reaching out to them and, and providing that help yeah, I, I love that you recommend that um, because I think that is a great way to fill your portfolio. And I would just add one caveat that it should be organizations that align with your values and that really match up with the kind of client that you want to work with in the future. Um, because there are so many good charities out there that could use our help. But if it's if it's not something that like you would want to take on repeat work for, it's probably not portfolio material. And so, but I love that that you're going that direction with it. I know for me, 
the only way I was able to do this because I wasn't always able to do this. Um, but I did, I sold a WordPress theme agency a couple of years ago using those productized services. That was really good for that. And so I was in this kind of shift where I was in a very niche market before um, where I was working almost like exclusively with food bloggers and it was very profitable and it was, um, it was a good niche for me to be in and aligned with a lot of values, but I got burnout on it after several years of doing it. Um, and I think that's probably kind of one of the downsides of niching down. However, I, I got to this point where when I sold the business, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do that anymore, I, that I wanted to work with food bloggers. And not to say that I don't, I do still work with food bloggers, but I needed some kind of um, injection of like a different creative path for me. And so what I did was I connected with organizations that I was already familiar with that I truly believed in their mission and had some kind of personal connection to. Um, so there's there's one charity here locally that they provide services for um, terminally ill children and their families and not health services, but like just um, care for them that, you know, this is the end of their life and they're trying to make the best of it for them. And so I've been able to work with them on an event that they hold every year. There's a school that I work with um, who's doing a lot of good work in the community, and I was personally connected to them. And then also a podcast that I uh, that really helped me in some way, like truly deeply helped me in a lot of ways. And somehow through the magic of online connections, got connected with the people behind the podcast and just kind of started doing work for them. And the reason why these are all pro bono work instead of like charging them, it's not because for me, it's not because they don't have the money for it or I needed work for my portfolio. It was because I, I really wanted this kind of like injection of creativity in my work. I needed a change of pace and I wanted it to be um, through projects that I felt like deeply connected to who I was. And so I, I jumped into those and, and I didn't want to be limited by hourly rates or I could, I could do this many hours a month or something like that. I just wanted to be able to like go wild with it and go as intense as I want to go or kind of back off if I need to, if I need to protect my time a little bit. And I didn't want anything I did for them to be limited by budget. And so you know, those, those projects have actually just continued. I've just continued working with the same ones. Um, and it's something that's really been fulfilling for me personally, but then a couple of them have actually also been added to my portfolio. Um, even if it wasn't my purpose in doing it, it was something that really worked out well. And, um, I don't know that I'm getting new projects from those, but um, but it's definitely allowed me to think differently about the kinds of clients I take on and how I view my own creativity and my work. Mm. One thing I'm quite curious about is, um, like, in in terms of this idea that I mentioned about, you know, to the community, one of the pushbacks I get is. Um, when people reach out to them, they've already got like some internal team or they've already got, you know, someone that mm -hmm. they work with. How, how did you go about um, building that relationship with them to do the work? Like, do, do you, do you just give them a call and say, I'm, I, I, um, 
I can help you with your brand identity or your website. Is that all you're doing? Just physically approaching them or is there more to it? I think in all three of these cases, um, they reached out to me. Okay. And um, they were willing to pay a small amount. And it ended up that I, I, like I said, I didn't want to be limited by budget. And so I took them on um, pro bono. So I can't say that like I found a cause and went after it. It was just in the circles and communities I'm in, you know, they had a need and I was able to fill it. And I think that's all it was in my particular case. Yeah. I mean, personally, um, every charity that I've ever worked with, they've actually reached out to me as well. And, you know, they've been happy to pay, but then I've done it for uh, either for free or a reduced rate. Um, and I, I don't know many people that have actually gone out and, and physically approached people. So I was curious to know if, you know, there was some special approach that you took, but I I guess, you know, for anyone that did want to, uh, potentially work with a charity, I, I think just giving them a call or reaching out to them by email or, you know, sending them a letter or whatever, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't, wouldn't work anyway um especially if they really do need um help with uh parts of their uh, business because i mean at the end of the day they they are a, a a business or a company like any other uh, company but they just happen to be um a charity off the back of that so um you know how you would approach any other business is probably how you would go about approaching a charity if you really did uh, want to do some pro bono work for them. Absolutely. And I think like in most cases, they're going to be so thrilled that like you're willing to help and they'll, they'll take you up on it. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now there's kind of one last question I wanted to ask you and it's, it's potentially a fairly um, big one. So uh, bear mm-hmm. with me with this. Um, you mentioned briefly throughout this conversation about your uh, previous business uh, so mm-hmm. what was it? It was called Feast. I, I think it was called Feast. It was. Yeah. Um, yeah so you you founded Feast. Um, you 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 built it up by creating uh, different themes, and then you eventually got to a point where you decided that you wanted to sell that business and start something new. Um, mm-hmm. You share your whole story on your website, which is. Um, it's a very honest, transparent story. It's hard to read in times. I can I can tell that you went through a, a hard time to to get to that point. And I'll link to that in the show notes because I'm not sure if we've got time to go through the whole uh, story. But one area that I was really interested in, and we've we've touched on this uh, earlier, you know, with productizing is you you created a productized business and then you was able to eventually sell it. So. I'm quite interested to hear your story of how you did actually go about selling your business, you know, like working out how much it cost, finding someone that would buy it and then actually transferring that over to them. Like, is there some insight that you could share as to how you approached that? Absolutely. So when I decided to sell a I hadn't realized that I had actually built a business that was worth selling. I thought I was just hustling along and doing what I needed to do and growing my agency. Um, you know, I had a few employees at that point and we were doing really well. But me personally, it felt like a pull for something deeper. And it just, that 
need wasn't being met by, by the business. Um, and so I kind of streamlined things and I actually went through a broker who handles, um, sales. Uh, but, oh, to back up a little bit, I actually, um, I had gone to a conference and one of the speakers was there talking about how, how to position your, your company to be able to sell it. And as he was going through it, I'm like, okay, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. And by the end of it, I was kind of like waiting for the punchline, like, okay, what do I need to do (laughs) to get to the point where I can sell my business? And I realized I had actually already built the business that was worth selling. And it was through productized services and having a product um, is a digital product and just having good brand name recognition and um, several factors. And so I kind of gave myself six months after that to really think about it and decide like if it was something I needed to do because this was my baby for so long. And then I, I did finally reach out to a broker. And there are a few brokers online that you can get in touch with and they kind of handle the entire process for you up to a certain point. So they are the ones who helped me value my company. It actually came in at a much higher value than I was expecting. But those numbers are going to be different for every business depending on, um, you know, what your assets are, what your history is, how long you've been in business, what kind of following you have and all of that. And then once they valued my business, we put together this whole kit of information and it, it felt like really intrusive, to be honest, like they were asking for all kinds of stuff, um, bank statements and like crazy, crazy stuff. And, um, but then they put it out there and they actually vetted potential buyers. We had several buyers that we had interviews with. They managed like the offer that the buyers were making. And we eventually met with one who seemed like a perfect fit, who offered above even asking price and um, was ready to kind of get something started. And so then we both engaged our lawyers. So you have the broker and then you have the lawyer as well. (laughs) That's important. And then um, we took about three months to really nail down a contract that worked well for both of us. So it's by no means a quick process. It's something that takes a lot of time and dedication. But then once, once we were both comfortable with the contract and signed it, With an online business, it was literally just a matter of like giving him a document with like certain information and like dropboxing him files and then giving him passwords to things. And it was that easy to hand over the business to him because our our, obviously our lawyers handled all the legal stuff, like, you know, the um, businessy side of things. Um, And then yeah. So then it's, it's been two years since I sold it and I'm still like, I've never had one regret in selling it. He's done such a good job with the business and it's been in good hands. And I've had like the creative freedom that I really was craving back then. And I now have it. And I feel like it was like one of the best decisions I could have made. Mm. It's nice to think that, you know, as, as a graphic designer or a web developer or um, you know, basically anyone listening to this podcast that they could build an asset that they eventually 
uh, sell on to someone in the way that you you you, you mm-hmm. have. Um, so I, I think it's it, like one of the main reasons why I wanted to bring it up is because you know in this podcast we have spoken about productizing services and everything like that, and I think doing that you basically are priming yourself to um you know to have a business that you could um eventually sell if you wanted to um so i think it's nice to know that that option is there for people and i I think it's good that you've been able to share a little bit of the insight as to uh, how that happened so i'm glad it all worked out really well for you and um you. you know it's exciting that you've been able to move on to you know everything that you're doing now with the uh, branding and the strategy and um, you know all the personality types and stuff like that it sounds like an exciting time for you it is absolutely thank you for I don't get to like sit and talk about all these <laughs> things very often so I appreciate the opportunity to just kind of you know let it all out thank you yeah you're very welcome and I actually think that's probably a good uh, point to wrap up the interview as well because it's a mm-hmm. um, a positive ending and I, hopefully it's you know inspired people that if if they have built an asset that that they're not enjoying they got the option to sell it and and start doing yes. something new that's exciting for them so um, you know you never know someone out, out there might listen to this and be inspired by what you've done yeah well and I I've actually seen it happening so much more lately. You know, people who have created a course or um, some kind of maintenance monthly service or something, all of those companies are selling to someone else because they, they build it up and then they're ready to move on to something else and someone else is ready to take it on for them. Yeah. Um, so I love that we have that kind of ecosystem online. Yeah, it's really good. Well, Shay, it's been really great to chat with you. Um, thank you so much for sharing, you know, all the uh, different insights into different areas with us. And um, yeah, it's been really good to to chat with you thank you i appreciate it so much you're very welcome if you listened to and enjoyed this episode let myself and shay know by giving us a shout out on social media go snap a photo tag us both go do it i'd absolutely love to hear from you to learn more about Shay, head over to her website, shaybox.com. Alternatively, check out the show notes for this episode, where I've included a, a picture of the uh, Enneagram that we spoke about in this interview, as well as links to uh, Shay's website, social profiles, uh, any books and resources we discussed in this interview, along with a full transcription too. So to find the show notes, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash 6.5 if you like to chat with me and over 7,000 other logo designers from around the world make sure to join the logo geek community on facebook it's totally free to join and you can find it just by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash community so that is it for this week but i hope to see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the logo geek podcast 